You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. When a young boy is tormented by bullies at his school, he knows he has to fight back. But the only way he knows how to fight is by using the art of black magic. And then we travel to the Colorado-Utah border to meet a group of campers out enjoying nature. As the campfire roars and illuminates the darkness surrounding them, they simply talk about life and what it may have in store for them. Little do they know they are about to come face to face with something truly unexplainable today on dead rabbit radio hey everyone welcome back to another episode of dead rabbit radio i'm your host jason carpenter i'm having a great day i hope you guys are having a great day too we got a ton of stuff to cover so we're gonna get started right away first off walking into dead rabbit command right now everyone give it up for our newest patreon supporter Poe Boy Peter. Woohoo! Yeah, come on in, Poe Boy. Walk on in to Dead Rabbit Command. Hopefully, that's just a nickname and not truly your economic status, but Poe Boy, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's totally fine. I get it. I really do. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much. Now, Poe Boy Peter, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgeable. Let's take that out of the hangar. We haven't used that vehicle yet this season. You are going to fly us all the way out to jolly old England. Dead Rabbit Dirgibles taking us on a nice little leisurely journey across the pond, as they call it over there. We call it the Atlantic Ocean because in America we have maps. But over in England, who knows what they have. This story, I want to say I got most of my information from an article written by Walker Kaplan. So thank you very much. Uh, I couldn't have done it without you. I didn't, I didn't even know this story existed until I saw this article. Fascinating, fascinating piece. We're headed back to the year 1917, so not a great time to be in England. I hope, you, I hope you guys brought a gas mask. Chemical warfare was all the rage. World War I was still going on. Somebody invented the very first tank, which I imagine would be the scariest day of World War One. I'm sure they were all pretty terrifying, right? You see photos of those guys. They look totally traumatized. But imagine, like, you're like, okay... We're in this trench, and some other dude over there has a machine gun, and my commander keeps telling us to charge. And I keep watching all my buddies get annihilated by these machine guns, but then you get used to that, and then you get used to the mustard gas. You're like, oh, it's a little tangy. I've been sprayed so many times by chemical weapons, they don't even affect me anymore. But then, imagine being the first infantryman who was running around with your rifle and shooting dudes in the face and stuff like that. And you're like, I got this war thing all figured out. And all of a sudden, a tank showed up. Imagine being the first dude to have to fight a tank. That would be terrifying. I doubt they were around to tell their stories. I don't think they had grandkids and they're like, let me tell you about the time where I was killed by a tank. You'd be a ghost. You'd totally be a ghost to be the very first people fighting a tank. This story has nothing to do with World War I. This story has nothing to do with tanks. But scary nonetheless, uh, not paranormal scary, but we're in the year 1917, we're in England, which is far from the front lines. We're in a place called Eton. 
Eton in Berkshire, England, it seems to be a kind of fancy pants place because there you have Eton College. I doubt they built this in like the slums of London. Eton has a place called Eton College, but over there they use words weird. It's not a college as normal people think of. This was a it was called college, but it was full of kids. To go to this college, this was between 13 and 18 years old. So, I don't know. A bunch of Doogie Housers, maybe? And in 1917, we're going to meet this young man. His name is Eric Blair. He's a 14-year-old boy. He's just recently started attending Eton College. And he's like, oh, the world holds such wonders for me. I've seen thousands of people die each day. Eric Blair is attending college. His heart is full of hope. His brain is full of knowledge. But he's getting bullied. And he can't figure out a way to beat his bully. His bully's always getting the best of him. It's this dude named Philip York. Eric's like, dude, I cannot take this bully. Philip keeps making my life a living hell. Now, Eric's friend was this dude named Stephen Runtkeman. Stephen goes, well, you know, Eric, I, I see that you're constantly getting picked on. I probably could help you out every now and then, but I don't because I'm afraid of getting picked on too. Eric, it sure does suck that you're getting picked on. If there was only something we could do, and Eric was just getting so frustrated and being the victim of this. But he can't fight Philip. He, he can't outwit him, I'm assuming. He can't, like, pull a funnier prank on this guy. And he also can't beat him up. So he's basically just stuck getting bullied. But Eric might have an ace up his sleeve. You see, he's a big fan of the world of the paranormal. He really likes reading about ghosts and magic and all of this stuff. That also will get you beat up in school, right? But he starts to think. He's talking to Steve and he goes, what if... We cast a curse on Philip. Seems like, what do you, what do you, what do you have in mind? And Eric goes, "Listen, I remember this short story I read called The Leech of Folkstone." And in this story, there was like a housemaid. There was like a woman who worked at a house, and she wanted to get back at the very cruel mistress of the home. Her boss was always being mean to her and stuff like that. So she made a little wax figurine. She basically made an effigy of her victim out of this wax, and she stuck pins in it. And over the course of the short story, by sticking needles in the wax effigy, it actually caused the woman real-life harm. So what if we could do something like that? To which I imagine Stephen goes, well, that is a fictional story. It's not actually real, but, I mean, any port in a storm, we can try it. So they do. They actually make a little wax effigy of Philip York. Now, Eric is so tired of Philip's bullying. After they make this little effigy of Philip, he goes, I'm going to take this pin, I'm going to take this needle, and I'm going to stab him right through the heart. And Stephen goes, that's probably a bridge too far. You probably don't want to do that. Maybe if we're going to curse somebody, let's start off small, right? You don't want to give the guy a heart attack. You don't want to kill him outright. Finally, Stephen and Eric come to a compromise. And they say, how about, how about we just brutally maim this guy instead of killing him? So Eric broke a leg off of the little wax figure that's supposed to represent Philip. A few days after they performed this ritual, Philip was playing football. And he broke his leg. And you would imagine that going through Eric and Steven's head is, first off, you would you would be battling, like, was it just a coincidence or did we cause that? You'd be thinking, wow, I have such power that I can actually influence the real world by performing this little ritual and the logical mind. Both of these guys 
are smart cookies. Both of them are thinking this could just be a coincidence, but what if it's not? Because outside of the short story, The Leech of Folkestone, curses are well known throughout history. But we, you, you don't really, like, if from a logical point of view, could you say, well, maybe it's just a coincidence, right? Even us who are believers of the paranormal, there are limits to our belief. But whatever their thought process is, whether they're completely elated that they now have control over reality, or they're debating that it's just coincidence, three months after Philip breaks his leg, he dies of leukemia. Which I'm, I'm not an expert on leukemia. I don't think it was caused by the leg break. I, I actually let me back up. I'm 100% sure that you can't break your leg and then get leukemia. I wonder, and I'm sure that Eric and Stephen wonder too, if that's why his bones are brittle. I don't really know anything about leukemia either, but he died of leukemia. Whether, whether or not this isn't a science podcast, technically it is, but uh, he died of leukemia. So at that point, they didn't, they didn't give the little effigy guy leukemia, but this frightened both of them so badly that Stephen who went on to become a very famous medieval historian. He is now a knight. He was knighted by the queen, Sir Stephen Runkyman. <laughs> Jason, that's not how you pronounce his name. I couldn't figure it out in the beginning, but now that you said that he's a medieval historian, I know exactly who you're talking about, and that's not how you pronounce his name. Anyways, Sir Stephen never spoke of this story again until one of the very last interviews of his life. He died in the year 2000. He lived to be in his 90s. But Stephen never mentioned the story to anyone until someone was writing a book in the late 90s. And he said, hey, this is he had to get it off his chest. We might have killed a guy with a curse. This world famous historian never told the story about how him and his classmate Eric cast this curse and possibly broke this dude's leg and may have put so much negative energy into this effigy that it actually killed the boy. It affected Stephen a lot. He didn't talk about it until he was in his 80s, but it affected Eric even more. But on Eric's side, this event affected him so deeply that not only did he never tell anyone about it, he was going into the political arena. He was going to be an author, and he was constantly writing about politics, and he knew he was going to rack up an enemies list very, very quickly. Very powerful enemies. This guy wrote a book review of Mein Kampf when it first came out, and he tore it to shreds. So there's a lot of people who didn't like this guy, and he knew that he was going to have very, very powerful enemies throughout his career as an author... And he was going to write about very dangerous topics. He was going to criticize and comment on some of the biggest players in the world of politics. That he changed his name. Because he believed if you knew his real name, you could cast a curse on him. That's what Sir Stephen told this guy who was doing an interview in the late 90s. He said, listen... Eric was so terrified that someone could actually cast a curse on him because we cast the curse on Philip York and it killed him. That when he started his writing career, he changed his name to George Orwell. Author of 1984 
Animal Farm, pretty much required reading in any American school. His name was Eric. Eric Blair. And Stephen said explicitly that's why George Orwell used the name George Orwell so his enemies couldn't cast a curse on him. They'd be casting a curse on somebody who doesn't exist. Fascinating story. A man who, again, was it a coincidence? I'm not a huge believer in curses. That's the thing. Curses are one of those things. Because I've had people personally curse me, try to ruin my life or give me a zit or whatever. I've had had multiple curses put on me over my 46 years of life by multiple people. Some people just wishing the worst for me. And then other people who were actually like adept at magic people who I've done episodes about fighting a witch and had a long standing uh, war with the Wiccan communities. I don't even know if I fully told all the stories about me and the Wiccans, but I've had people like curse me, curse me. It doesn't work. So that's one of those phenomenon that I'm like, I don't, I don't really see anything of it. I, but I definitely think if I was 13, 14 years old and I cast a curse on a bully and then something tragic happened, it might change my point of view, but definitely wouldn't make me change my name. But if you did believe in curses, it's almost a no-brainer. You would almost think, yeah, I have to change my name. Otherwise, George Orwell may have been afraid to ever play football. They're like, hey, you want to kick the ball around? He's like, no. Someone might have made a little wax person of me. People <laughs> like, what are you talking about, George Orwell? Why are you insane? He's like, uh. But whether or not you believe in curses, still a fascinating story because he believed in them. Coincidence? Causation? We don't know weird story from one of the greatest literary minds of the modern era. Poe boy, Peter. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Eaton College. We're going to fly all the way out to the Utah-Colorado border. You know, it's interesting to note because, yeah, I was just poo-pooing on curses and stuff like that, but obviously I believe in other paranormal things. That's why I do a paranormal podcast. And I was recently on vacation. I went to California. I was visiting with my family. And when I came back, I walked into my apartment and something was off. Something was off. The minute I walked into my apartment, something was off. I have a rule that I clean my place before I leave on a vacation. I do all my dishes. I clean everything. So I come back to a clean place. And I remember walking into my apartment, and I, Sabine had picked me up from the airport, so she's there with me, and I said, why, why is the place messy? She's like, <laughs> she's like, I don't know, I haven't been here. And I walked into the kitchen, and there was a bunch of unwashed forks and spoons, and I go, what is this? Why is this place messy? It felt off. It felt different. Not wrong, but different. It felt unbalanced felt tilted. Now, over the past couple days, it's starting to feel more balanced, right? I've, I've been cleaning up. That's been one of the things I'm, once again, kind of infusing the, the place with my energy. So just because I don't believe in curses doesn't mean I don't believe in a bunch of other woo-wah, foo-foo stuff. But I remember coming in and I felt off balance. And I'm bringing that story up for two reasons. One, because it leads into our next story and ties into that event. But also, I haven't done this in a long time, and I wanted to start it today. We're going to do another one of our 90 Days to a Better You Challenge. 
This is something that I set up a couple years ago. I know that if I did it all the time, it would kind of lose the power behind the statement. If I had one every couple months, then what's the point? But the 90 Days to a Better You Challenge is where you pick something that you want to be better at or accomplish or something you just want to try. And over the next 90 days, achieve that or try that or do that thing. And it can be anything because it's personal to you. We've had a lot of great success over the past couple of years. Whenever we do these 90 Days to a Better You Challenge, I get emails from you guys. I've gotten sample of people who are doing artwork, sending me artwork of stuff they've been working on. Great interactions with you guys. But today I want you guys to make a pledge. And this isn't any way to get money. There's, this is totally free because it's about you. Today, you make a pledge that from now until the next 90 days, you are going to do something you've wanted to do or something you've needed to do, and you're going to pursue that over the next 90 days. Because those next 90 days are going to happen whether you're doing the thing or not, whether you're improving yourself or not. In 90 days, you will still be here. The question is, will you be a better you than you are today? So we're starting that today, 90 Days to a Better You. Now, in the past, I've done weight loss, and I've been successful on that. The last one I think I did was strength training, weightlifting. I've been successful in that, but what I realize that I need now is balance. I'm always trying to get stronger. And what I've realized, what I'm going to do for my 90 days is I'm going to work on my balance. I might even take a, I might even take a yoga class. Whether or not I do it at home using YouTube videos and a book, or if I go join a yoga studio or where I'm surrounded by 40-year-old women in incredibly tight yoga pants, which, I mean, there's a lot of benefits just to that. Balance. I don't have to be the strongest. I don't have to be the fastest. I don't have to be the most fierce. Those things are all great. I'm not knocking those, but I've never stopped to find my balance, my physical balance. So that's what I'm going to work on. And, and and I really inspired me when I walked into my apartment and I realized that things were off kilter. So that's my 90 days to a better you. I'm going to work on balance. And that might sound weird. That might sound like, Jason, you're just standing there. But I, I don't know where I'll end up at the end of those 90 days. I honestly don't know where that journey will take me. But I feel it's a journey I need to go on because I I don't stretch when I work out and that's constantly getting injured and having to stop. But it's time for me to balance myself. So, Jason, what does any of that have? Great. 90 day challenges back. But what does any of that have to do with your next story? You're going to talk about a bunch of people camping. Well, again, while I'm telling the story, I want you to think about me coming into my apartment, a paranormal researcher who... Constantly has the eyes of the intelligence community on them, right? FBI, CIA, IRS, of course. You come into your apartment, you feel something's off. You always seem to come off as a kind of savvy guy. I'm giving, you're giving me a bunch of compliments, Bo Boy. Peter's giving me a back rub right now. You seem to be a pretty savvy guy. If you came home and your apartment felt off balance and things weren't where you left them, you thought you'd cleaned your apartment, wouldn't you, as a paranoid, as a paranoid conspiracy theorist, immediately default to someone breaking into your house? That's it's it's very interesting. Let's talk about this story and keep this whole idea of coming into my apartment um, in mind while we're telling this story. I found this story online. It was posted by someone known as Known Party One Five Five Two. We're gonna go ahead and call them Jake. This takes place in the year nineteen ninety two, and Jake and three of his buddies are camping out near the Utah-Colorado border, which is a desert region. 
So a bunch of cacti poking up out of the dirt. Scorpion probably walking by. Scuttling. Maybe a turtle. <laughs> Maybe a turtle that got lost is also walking around. Jake and his three friends are out camping in this region. The sun has set. The night sky is darker than normal. It's overcast. The moon and the stars are not able to shine down on Earth. The only thing that's illuminating the wasteland is this little campfire. Jake and his buddies are sitting around. They're drinking beers. They're just talking. Having a good time. Enjoying each other's company. Enjoying nature. Off in the distance, they hear the unmistakable sound of coyotes howling. The light only extends as far as the campfire glow allows it. Their backs are against the pitch black that surrounds them. And still the coyotes howl in the distance. Crack open another beer. A new conversation starts that turns into an argument that turns into an in-joke. And everyone starts laughing. And the coyotes continue to howl in the darkness. But then as if somebody just muted the world, the coyotes fall silent. Now, this wasn't a thing where the coyotes got tired of howling or they finally found that delicious turtle. Jake said it happened suddenly. Suddenly, the coyotes were no longer howling. In fact, everything outside of their little camp fell dead silent. Jake turns over to one of his friends. We'll call this guy Bobby. Jake turns to his friend Bobby because since Jake has noticed this phenomenon, noticed that everything has gone quiet, he turns to his friend Bobby to ask, can you hear that? Like Nothing? Can you hear nothing? What just happened? He turned to his friend Bobby to see if he also was observing this phenomenon or not observing it. Again, like how do you describe not hearing something? Jake turns to Bobby, and the campfire flickers, and it illuminates Bobby's face. And what Jake sees is that Bobby is terrified. There is a look of horror plastered across Bobby's face. And right when Jake turns to him, right when Jake recognizes that something scared his friend, Bobby shouts out, What is that? Jake turns to look. He turns to see what Bobby is staring at. And as Jake is turning his head, everything goes dark. The campfire in an instant dies. The silence is oppressive. The darkness is overpowering. These four young people out in the middle of nowhere now have no source of light, and everything around them is completely silent. Jake said in that moment, even my thoughts were silent. They were enveloped by nothingness. But then a sound pierces the darkness. One of his friends, and Jake doesn't know who said this, but one of his friends said, What just happened? In that moment, Jake realizes that even though the campfire's dead, they're not idiots. They did bring backups, and he remembers 
He has a flashlight nearby, and he reaches and he grabs his flashlight, and he turns it on. He said that the fire was completely extinguished. It was out, just like they had thought when the light disappeared. But it wasn't just that. Nearly all the coals in the fire pit were burned out. The fire was put out, but yet the coals in the fire seemed like it had extinguished a long time ago. That this fire continued to burn for hours and hours and hours and hours, and these were just the remnants of a once warm and raging fire. Now it seems like this fire had just burned through the night, but it hadn't. It had extinguished itself at some point, or some force extinguished the fire. And Jake and the friends start freaking out about this, obviously. Because they know that they have not been sitting around this fire for hours and hours and hours. They know for a fact that the fire just disappeared. The flames just went out. Yet all the evidence points to it had been out for hours. It had burned itself naturally and had already been out for a long time. And everyone's trying to figure this out. Everyone's completely puzzled by this. They all have the feeling... That something happened to them. But not a single one of them could remember what it was. They, they couldn't even imagine what it could be. And Jake turns to Bobby and says, Hey, Bobby, before all of this stuff happened, I turned to look at you and you looked absolutely terrified. And you said, What is that? And Bobby looks at Jake and says, Dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Not only do I not remember seeing anything, I didn't even say that. I didn't shout out, what is that? I, I didn't see anything, and I definitely didn't say that. The four friends continued to try to put together what could have happened, asking these questions and trying to figure it out, but none of them could come to an answer. But they knew that they would get no rest that night at this campsite. They all stayed awake until the sun came up, and then packed up and left as quickly as they could. Jake says, you know, this story happened 30 years ago. And he still has no idea what happened. He cannot figure out what happened that night. What could have caused that chain of events? What could have caused the coyotes to fall silent? For the world to fall silent? For his own thoughts to fall silent? He couldn't figure it out. Let alone put out the fire. And seemingly put out the fire hours ago. It didn't make sense. The fire disappeared in a blink, and yet the fire burned itself out. Doesn't make any sense. And why none of them remembered it? No idea. It's a terrifying story, right? Anytime that you lose memories, it's terrifying. The thing about the world of the paranormal is there's so much of it that leaves humans powerless. I think that's why people turn to magic, to doing Wiccan rituals or casting curses, because in a sense, it gives humans agency once more in the world of the paranormal. I think it's the same thing why people use Ouija boards, because it's one thing to think about the cold, unfeeling caress of death, the finality of someone passing on, and comprehending that, and then just going, well, Parker Brothers or Hasbro put out this board game that I can use to talk to 10 people. It kind of gives you power back over death. And I think curses and, and magic and stuff like that, once again, gives humans agency in these things. I personally, I believe in the law of attraction. But I don't even consider that magic. I consider that just 
a, a, a science, right? A rule. Same way that you can lift weights to become stronger, you can use the law of attraction. I think you have to use the law of attraction in lifting weights to get stronger. I've done multiple episodes on that. I don't consider it magic. I do believe magic exists in, in one fashion or, or another, but I don't think humans can access it as readily as they want to or can. They want to have a stake in the world of the paranormal. They want to have some sort of power in the world of the paranormal. But at the end of the day, we don't. And that's why stories like this are so terrifying. Because an event... Ha- if this story's real, right? If this story's real, this guy totally could have made the story up. But if this story's real, not only did something happen that completely is against the law of physics, right? Dampening the sound for miles around... I don't even think Beats by Dre can do that. I don't think a good pair of headphones can do that. Uh, shutting off a fire instantly and then realizing that that it had burned all night. That's now we're talking about time loss. I think the I think the first thing you can go to this is aliens, right? It definitely has some hallmarks of aliens, missing memories, time loss. But also it could just be any sort of paranormal event. It could be anything from quantum immortality that they died and shifted into another reality to some sort of, to some dimensional rift, to some sort of demonic thing. I mean, that's a little, that's a little, I don't know what the demons would do if they possessed you and then just had you sit around the fireplace. It does seem more alien or more dimensional reality warping, but still it's just so creepy, right? To be in a place where you're relaxing, then all of a sudden an event happens that you can't figure out 30 years later. You feel powerless. That is, that is, if I had to sum up the world of the paranormal in one word, other than cool and exciting and intriguing and fun, be powerless. If someone said, sum it up in one negative word, it would be it's something like this. You're powerless in the face of the world of the paranormal. And the reason why I started off by talking about me walking into my apartment and feeling off-balanced and I didn't feel that negative energy... But I knew something was different, right? Again, not negative, right? I didn't come in and think that it was a horrible thing. I just felt it was a little off balance. That would be, you could consider that a paranormal event, or I'm, I'm figuring out the energy of, of the place vis-a-vis me and how much I've changed over the past couple of weeks. I don't think much, but I thought about that and how I just kind of dismissed it. I, I'm changing things, obviously, right? Like I'm clean, I'm doing a big reorganization on my place and I'm trying to find my own physical balance as well. So it, it, I am thinking of it that way, but I kind of did go, it's not the CIA. They didn't put a listening device. It's not a demon in my place. It's not a ghost was hanging out. Nothing like that. I kind of kind of rationalized it. The, the, the fact of the matter is it really could have been those things, right? There could have been someone in my apartment planting a listening device, and that's why. It's pretty boring, honestly. It's kind of funny sometimes, but I feel sorry for the agents in charge of that. But it could have been that, right? It could have been some sort of presence moved into my house, and I was detecting the lingering scent of it until it springs out and finally gouges my eyeballs out with a melon baller while I'm sleeping. But I don't think so. But this is what this story's creepy about, and my balance story is kind of kind of creepy about is that you don't know 
Think about all the weird things that's happened. Mundane. You know, the world of the paranormal, when it's mundane, I find infinitely intriguing. Think about all the weird stuff that's happened to you throughout your life, right? The little things you can't explain. This story, there's a bunch of witnesses. They're in the middle of nowhere. They all experience this phenomenon that leaves physical evidence that time has passed. But think about the times when you're just sitting at home, and then all of a sudden you're like, what? It's already 10 p.m.? I swear I just got home from work. Then now that could just be you being bored and losing track of time. But if you think about all of the times that does happen, all of the times that you wake up with a start in the middle of the night and you think someone's in your room, but of course no one's in your room. You're an adult and your doors are locked. And it was just a bad dream you woke out of. We dismiss these things all the time when we are the only witness to these events. We almost always dismiss them. You're driving down the road. There's a term for it. What is it? Road hypnosis. You're driving down the road, and the next thing you know, you're at home. And the scientists, right, will say, well, it's because you've driven the route so many times, your brain actually kind of goes into an auto mode, and you don't even know you're getting there. Yeah, that's probably true, but what happens when it's not? What happens about those times where you fall asleep, and you wake up right away, and eight hours have passed, and you feel like you have not gotten any sleep at all? Yeah, there's medical reason for that. But what about the one time it's not? I mean, there are reasons why coyotes stop howling. There are reasons why fires can just quickly extinguish themselves. But what about the times when it's not? I wonder how many times aliens do abduct people, demonic entities surround us. These paranormal events happen, but they happen in such a mundane way that we don't even realize it. Or we kind of blink and we miss it. And I think everyone experiences this stuff, right? You come home, you go, where's my wallet? I always leave it right here. And then you find the wallet in your bathroom. I'm, I'm not saying every time that happens, it's paranormal. But at least one time, it may have been. And to me, that's so creepy. I find it infinitely intriguing, but it's so creepy because you have to step back and think how much of our world is influenced by the paranormal? How much of it is not taking place in the middle of a national park or on the Utah-Colorado border or in a creepy haunted house or a graveyard? This is a common theme in this podcast. I hope I'm not beating a dead horse, but I just find it so interesting because... The world of the paranormal is not something you will always seek out. Sometimes you stumble upon it. Sometimes it seeks you out. And whether you go looking for it or it comes for you, when the world of the paranormal decides to interfere with your life, whether it be completely mundane and you just chalk it up to a weird coincidence, whether it's relatively harmless and you just spend the night huddling around your friends, holding up flashlights, waiting for the sun to rise. Or it is so traumatic, it is a life-changing event or a life-ending event. Whether the paranormal just wants to tickle your nose or torture your soul. Whenever you experience the paranormal, whenever a normal human comes up against the world of the unknown, there really is only one way to describe that interaction. You are powerless.
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. 